0: Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening this weekend. Good morning, John. Good morning,
1: Deb. Good morning, gardeners. I think it's time to introduce a little bit of magic in this morning's program. We're going to convert an old laundry trough into a productive wicking bed. How about that?
0: Sounds like magic to me.
1: <laughs> and the person who's going to do that without magic, but uh, a very, very sensible uh, explanation, is uh, Bianca Warnock, who's a Science communicator, and uh, she 's almost also very much involved with community gardens and uh, uh, I discovered Bianca a couple of weeks ago uh, two or three weeks ago at the uh, outside broadcast we had for the harvest festival and uh, Bianca at that stage was talking about community gardens and we 'll work that into the program mm. so about uh, what we 're going to do in terms of wicking beds very shortly and later in the program, Deb. The, the tomato survey, the end of the 2023 tomato survey will be launching that and encouraging people to be part of that particular survey.
0: More people that respond to it the more information is gathered and the uh, more accurate that information is so it doesn't matter what sort of crop you've had this year be it uh, good bad or ugly you can be a part of it so I'm looking forward to launching that with you John Uh, and I've got a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little bit later in the program as well and we're here to answer your questions and Bianca in addition to wicking beds uh, likes talking about soil so if you you've got a soil or a wicking bed question, call in now. Jump in the queue. Have a little bit of a listen to John and Bianca first. Uh, the number is 1300 222 1300 222 We love your comments as well. And the text line number is 0467 891.
1: The idea of a wicking bed is not new, but it's certainly catching on. And many people are saying, oh, I think I might try and produce vegetables in a wicking bed. But what is a wicking bed and how does it differ from a raised garden bed? Bianca Warnock is involved with community gardens and um, community gardens are certainly ones that are very uh, involved in, in growing their things in, in uh, raised garden beds. So good morning to Bianca. Good morning. Welcome. And can I ask you, what's the difference between a wicking bed and a raised garden bed?
2: The way I see it is a raised garden bed is, as it says, it's raised, but it's not necessarily sealed. So water will drain out of it. It's built in a way where it's raised up so that you can access it, but it's not necessarily got a bottom to it that means it traps the water. The wicking bed is sealed in such a way where it holds water in a reservoir, and that allows A, the soil to maintain moisture, drain to a point, not allow for overflow and rotting and all that sort of thing, but therefore reduces your water need. Evaporation—that sort of loss.
1: Well, most people are familiar with your garden bed. It's just soil, and you put your vegetables in there, you water it, and it grows. Whereas uh, the wicking bed has got very separate components. Could you just very briefly take a look at uh, uh, the components of a wicking bed? Just describe it, and then we'll sort of see if we can't make one.
2: Yeah, let's carve it up. Uh, look for the anatomy of a wicking bed. So, if you were to cut a wicking bed in half and have a look at it—a dissection, if you will. Um, the bottom of your wicking bed would be sitting on the ground, but you would have a sealing component, and that might be um, a waterproof plastic liner you can buy from uh, you know, building supplies, that sort of thing, uh, aquaponic plastic, that sort of uh, level. You would then have a level of uh, what we would essentially call a drainage. Now, it's not true drainage. It's not going away but it's a place where the water can settle away from the soil a little. You would then have a what's called a um, like a wicking material, and then you would have your soil. Through the bed, there would also be a PVC pipe that has holes through it in a way where the water can be filled into the bed to maintain the water level. And not necessarily need to be watering over the top okay, as much well, as you would if it were a raised bed. Sure, yeah.
1: And and, and I sort of simplify that and say, look, there's a, a tank of water and on top of it there's a a, a layer of soil and uh, there's something in between to stop the soil falling, falling down, down into the water. That's right. And it's all held within a frame. So let's take a look at the frames. Um, the concept of using an old laundry trough or an old
2: bath. Is is that fair dinkum? Fair dinkum. Absolutely. I love it. So I haven't done one yet. It's something I'm looking into because I love to experiment and I'm curious and I like to play with things. At the community garden I am associated with, which is the Semaphore Park community garden, we've got many uh, wicking beds, but they are made out of wood and then lined in the way that I said. The concept I'm looking at is uh, using upcycled materials that are already waterproof water sealed so an old bath a laundry trough is a great use for this because that means that i don't have to go and buy extra plastic to line it and so on so forth now it does have a drainage hole at the bottom and normally in wicking beds you want your overflow drainage pipe to be 20 to 30 centimeters above the ground on the side of your unit Mm -hmm. um and there is a way to remedy that with the uh, troughs, but that's that's one of the reasons why I like to use it. And I just did a quick—I um, I love my Pinterest searches and things like that. There are so many um, upcycled baths and troughs used as wicking beds online it's incredible All and right. so
1: they're very very so su- yes uh, suitable yep. and the tradition is just to use and wicking uh, sophie thompson is, is yep. very keen on wicking beds and she has access to uh, old fruit crates yep. you know the great big fruit crates they might be two or three meters or a couple of meters uh, uh, either side and high and, mm. and that becomes your frame uh, and Around, inside that frame, you put your liner. So let's now talk about liners. You've either got a, a laundry trough, mm. and it's 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 sealed. It's got a little plug hole at the bottom, but uh, it needs to be sealed. So let's come back and and the importance of sealing. I and mean, you mentioned using plastic. How what happens if you get a hole in your plastic, or how do you stop it getting a hole?
2: The trick to that is um, knowing where you're putting your wicking bed to begin with because if it's directly on the floor on the ground i beg your pardon you could have the issue which we've potentially just discovered in our garden of roots still coming up from external plants so we've got beautiful begums, and the roots have come up and we think that they've come in underneath and started to attack the plastic so that's one thing the other thing you can do is line it with another layer of vintage scrappy carpet or old towels and sheets. Everybody keeps old towels and sheets. Go, what do I do with this? And you think, Okay, well R S P C A is probably inundated with blankets and towels. Yes. Go and line it with that and you literally are giving a little suspension layer to prevent that sort of quick tear to the plastic. But generally this plastic that I was talking about, this builder's plastic, aquaponics plastics, rather tough. You know, it's not like a garbage bin liner. Mm.
1: Yes, we're talking with Bianca Warnock, a science communicator and involved with community gardens and we're talking wicking beds and so we can either use an old bath or a laundry trough and that's what we're building at the moment or your traditional wood kind of frame and we've got it lined so that uh, uh, it's going to hold both the water and the soil. Talk a little bit about now uh, the water, the layer of water.
2: The reservoir. The reservoir. we would be adding now non-absorbent rocks to the bottom of our bed now and you're going to add enough that you've got a decent reservoir (laughs) i couldn't think of another word (laughs) Uh, um, and the water is going to sit to the top of this rock line so you know in a decent bed size you would want a good 20 centimeters of um rock line and and when you say rocks uh,
1: to me it's either scurry or or gravel or something like that yeah okay so it's just a a layer 20 centimeter layer of that and you fill it full of water
2: and you're going to fill it with water absolutely absolutely Uh and this is where that drainage overflow comes Uh in so if you are using a traditional raised bed that is now lined we've put our rocks, our drainage hole is on the side at just above just at the rock line. Okay? So this twenty centimetres why it's good to know how much you're putting in. Yes. That drainage hole can literally just be a drilled hole through the wood or whatever you've got. And you know, you can put PVC piping yeah, and, and silicone and up. And all those exactly, kind of exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Um, that Being just above the rock line means you're filling to the rock line. And when you overflow, it's going to overflow out. It makes perfect sense to me, but visually, I hope you can understand behind yeah, no, that. So, that, you know,
1: there's 20 centimetres of, of your gravel, yep. and uh, it stays at 20 centimetres. So, if it rains or when you yep. water, you can't go over that, and yep. that's important. So, there we are. We've got the rocks and, uh, and the, the water layer, and then we're going to put a layer of soil on top of that. But obviously, there's got to be something that stops the soil from getting down into the water. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, now you've got your um geotextile fabrics um which you can get again at um hydroponic shops you can get at um many of your hardware stores uh building supplies but it could be hessian it could be again the old towels and sheets and things like that something or a shade cloth exactly 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 um any way that you can upcycle some scraps and stuff like this is always a favourite to me. Why go buy new when there's surplus of this?
1: All right, so there's the layer of uh, material um, on top of your rocks which hold the water. Uh, now comes the important part of putting healthy soil on it. And we'll come back to the healthy shortly, but how much soil and, and, and getting that Depth of soil in, is fairly important because the water's actually got to wick up by osmosis, isn't it? Is osmosis is the process or is it, uh, <laughs> Anyway, it wicks up?
2: It wicks up. I yeah. wouldn't say osmosis no. is necessarily no. the issue. No. Uh, it's part of it uh, for sure. Capillary action. Capillary action is the one That's one. what I was thinking yep. of. <laughs> um, so uh, the interesting thing here is, um, yep, putting in your soil and the depth. Now, if we're going to be upcycling. Laundry troughs or baths and things like that. We have a limit to our depth perhaps, but um, we are able to change that or work to what we've got. So it would depend on what you're planting. majority of the plants that we would be wanting to put in a wicking bed in most you know private home situations um, is at least a plant that's going to have about a maybe 30 centimeter root depth. We're not necessarily going to be planting, you know, um, Uh, sorghum that's got deep roots or something like that. Mm. So 30 centimetres of soil is going to be ample. Ideal for growing tomatoes or
1: cucumbers or cabbage. What a cabbage and butterfly, those kind of things grow the winter crops. Growing Yeah, beautifully. Yeah, lovely. All right,
0: there we are. Well, there you go. You've had um, a pretty good idea of the layers needed to get your wicking bed up and running from not just an old laundry trough, but any of the uh, vessels that we've been talking about with Dr. Bianca Warnock. She is here. She is a science communicator. She's active in community gardens. She wants to answer your wicking bed questions. And she will also talk to you about soil as well. If you've got a question, call in now, 1300 222 891. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. South Australia and Broken Hill. We are talking about wicking beds this morning with Dr. Bianca Warnock, science communicator, active community garden member. Happy to take your calls on the topic, but you'll have to call in quickly. Bianca's only here for another 10 minutes or so. The number is 1300 222 891. Now, Sergeant from Hackham, you've run through. You would like to ask uh, about
3: replenishing soil. Yes, I've got a wicking bed. It's only new. Um, I've got a dwarf mulberry in it. Um, so I want to know how you um, keep the soil going and um, in a wicking bed because um, if you have a general pot, you pull the plant out and you repot it. But that's a lot of work in a wicking bed. Absolutely.
2: Um, the thing with the soils when you've got plants that aren't going to necessarily die off and be dug back in or you want something to maintain and live in that space you will need to consider the soil around it and adding on top and eventually that is replenishing your soil um, and you would be replenishing that soil over time with things like tonics you know a good sea sole power feed that sort of element you're going to be considering things like adding a layer of compost Adding a layer of um, mulch, and there are you know you can add your dynamic lifter every now and again when it's the right season. I'm not sure about mulberries how hungry they are, but um, when it, when we're talking about something that's not ever going to come out of the wicking bed, but you're using the wicking bed to maintain that plant in a better potting system, so to speak. Um, yeah, you would just be adding it over the top. Uh, and not necessarily digging it in, letting it sort of move down. That's the important
1: thing. You you can put it there, and uh, we'll come to the worm shortly. They might take it down for you. But the important thing is, of course, if you've got organic matter, the organic matter breaks down. And Mm. so where you've got it nice and full first year, second year you come out and look at your your wicking bed, and you think, oh, who's pinched the soil? It's all sunk (laughs) down two or three centimetres. And it's just a matter of putting uh, good compost. Yep. And uh, all those things, all those are,
2: things, and, and by mulching, the mulch, of course, would break down, and that would also help. What's well, beautiful system to me? Um, I, you know, you said magic, but not magic. It's so magical science. I love it. There is a beautiful system that's happening with the soil because it's not just soil that is there for the plants. You know, We've added some compost, which means we've got some nitrogen with which the plants are going to take up through their root system. Um, but we've also added some carbon. As that carbon breaks down, it's going to form carbon dioxide. The plants breathe in that carbon dioxide and that's why we are seeing the shrinkage in the soil. It's not necessarily sinking down. It's not necessarily compacting. It does, but it's not the primary. Yeah, it
1: just breaks down. It's just
2: breaking and, yeah. down, and that's, that is what's happening, that breaking's down. And so by that change, we are needing to replenish it by physical material.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, good luck with that, Sandra. I hope that's uh, answered that question. Meg is in Manum Now, you want to prepare a bed, Meg. Yeah, good
3: morning. I have a leaking bed, and I've just pulled out the tomato plants that were in it, I've got old cow manure, bird poo, potting mix and compost or soil improver and i was wondering what I need to do before I plant again.
2: What I've done in my wicking bed is um, whenever I go through the season of I want to replenish the soil or, you know, prep it for the next lot, I actually would mix in my fertilisers like you've said. I'd get my worm castings. I'd get my... um, compost if you've wanted to buy compost but I tend to actually just put my food scraps in and um, dig it all up mix it all around and I'd leave it for a week I would then go and put a decent layer of lentils I love putting lentils and the other great one that John actually talked about about half an hour ago is the brassicas or any kind of the mustards I would grow them then for a good couple of weeks and you're going to get a plant that's you know, a lawn essentially of little lentils it's adorable and it looks like curly little lawn <laughs> and um, i would then actually dig that back in oh brilliant brilliant that's green manure green manure yep. yes yes so just
1: by sprouting them doesn't matter where you get peas or whatever yep. it is you put you get your favorite things it'll just grow and once they've sprouted dig, them, dig in. them back in ah, ah,
2: and that biofumigation lovely. from the mustard's great the nitrogen fixation's great especially because you've just had tomatoes the biofumigation from the mustard uh, is actually really great for preventing that tomato wilt in the next season okay
1: and we'll come back to worms on their role but I'm conscious Deb that yeah, there are lots are of people calling in. <laughs> in so we're going
0: to move through them thank you Meg for calling in Mark is at Port Neil. Mark you want to talk about uh, eco septic water
4: yeah i was just wondering i'm going to do some um uh, these wicking beds and i was just wondering if uh the water that comes out of the ecosystem is all right to put in the
2: wicking bed i don't actually have a great answer for that one i'm going to say out of curiosity i would think that it is okay um because it has time to progress through the soil and filter through and be cleansed through the plant um i guess it depends you know what you're putting down your sinks and what you know is going through even your body if you're um taking a lot of medications things like that sometimes that can be a concern but um don't freak out, everybody. I'm yes, not and suggesting it's that. It's not the
1: kind of thing. It's a, a do-it-yourself type system. No. You need to be very, very aware that anything to do with uh, uh, manures and faeces, uh, exactly. E. coli, is, is a major problem. Exactly. It's so easy to sort of pick that up. So that if you've got a, a registered thing and, and it's registered for using and breaking down whatever yep. comes through the system and it has completely broken down, has been composted, yep. then it could be used. But I'll be using it with careful. I yep. would not be sprinkling it over cabbages or yep. thing, leafy types things that it, it would maybe, you could use it to, on your wicking bed yep. to, to, for restoring the soil like you, once a year, you're, you're putting on yep. compost, you could get that material, but uh, yes, I, I would be making sure that you check out uh, the fact that it is safe to use. Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, so Mark, I think you need to do a little bit more investigation based on yep. your own personal circumstances there, but very interesting call, thanks very much. Going around the state this morning on Wicking Beds, Tom is in Wyala. Tom, you want to direct a, a question about worms.
1: Ah, <laughs> good. That saves me asking. <laughs> Go. Fire away there, Tom.
4: Uh, John, um, Sophie Thompson's got a great YouTube um, video on wicking beds that people can source, and that's where I got my idea from quite a few years ago. Uh, it's on APCs. They're a big plastic container that's used in um, industrial sites, and depending on what they use in them, you can clean them out, and that makes perfect wicking beds. Now, what I've done over the last few years, I've got um, bathtubs with quite a few worms in them, which I, of course, get the liquid and I get, get the castings. What i found is if you put worms into the wicking beds, you get absolutely sensational results, especially with cucumbers and tomatoes, spring onions and also silver beet, spinach. They just go rampant. And what I find also, if you put a thin layer of uh, mulch on top, that also um, makes them work a lot, lot better.
1: Tom, thank you for that. And that came in much better than I could explain. So, uh, uh, Bianca.
2: I'm so excited by your enthusiasm, Tom. It's exactly where we wanted to go with that conversation. I've done the same thing. I've got worms in my wicking bed. They love it. Um, They, you know, have enough depth that they can move up and down away from the heat, the soil, the water, the light, uh, whichever they need. Um, I am putting some cut, cut, cut. Compost in every now and again, so that they've got that carbon material. And yep, they do break down the mulch. They do keep everything healthy. Yeah. Do you well, just you get a,
1: a bunch of a, a group of of worms and dig a hole and put them there? Or yeah. do you, I just grabbed a special my... vegetable area where you, that, you know they feed on
2: the veggies and then spread. Uh, you can do that. There's a fantastic company um, that provide a system where you essentially embed this unit into your yes. wicking bed, yeah. and um, that's where you put your compost, and the p- worms could come in and out. Um, you can also do it with an old like you know milk crate
0: great work tom can i just throw a few things to you on the text line and that will answer fiona on the hills question which was can you keep worms in your wicking bed like a worm farm yeah uh and she also asks and put in a worm tower for food scraps
2: Yep. Uh, a worm tower is similar to this embedded thing that i'm speaking of so you could do it with a um, really wide pvc pipe uh, embed it so that it's half in the soil and half sticking out and you've uh, drilled holes all the way down that pipe and then you stick your scraps directly into this pipe that's emerging from the soil and you might put a cap on top to stop rodents and it Mm. just falls through and breaks down and the worms have a lovely old time
3: there
0: you go Julie says is a wicking bed the same as a garden on water such as I saw years ago on the lakes in Kashmir well it's not is it
2: Actually, it's not too dissimilar. Mm-hmm. It's just that that happens to be a lake and the enclosed system is the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so it's actually not too different. Um, and it's actually also not too different to aquaponics. Um, but that's a whole other story.
0: Mary in Cuddly Creek said, can your speaker, Bianca, please discuss the type of soil to use which will wick well? I changed over from raised garden beds because of the gum tree roots loving the damp soil. I sure hope the roots
2: can't smell water through a double layer of builder's plastic, says Mary. Look, we think that maybe they can. And that's why I love the idea of the um, bath. Um, But, you know, what's stopping you from putting an old sheet of metal as well um, under your wicking beds when you're setting them up? That helps too. Yeah. Yeah um type of soil we I mean,
0: discussed that at quite well
2: to a little degree yeah, but Soil is not dirt. Okay, so make sure that you are replenishing your soil. You're adding some compost. You're adding a good range of um, drainage options. So maybe a little bit of sand. Um, make sure it's not too draining. You know what's its clay content like? Things like that. You can always test that with some kits and water tests. And
1: so buying two or three bags of potting mix, and rather than getting the Rolls Royce with all the fertiliser and all the extras in it, just getting a good quality potting mix, which has got the little ticks on the make side. Sure you've got your so t- it drains properly, yep. and that's the most important thing. Is Using potting mix, is that okay, or would you then add to it, like add the
2: compost and things? Wicking beds sound great because they seem like a set and forget for water and therefore the soil. Oh, they aren't. You will over time need to be replenishing things. So if you're maintaining it by adding some compost, some food scraps, some tonics, um, and your mulch on top, you will be great
0: just on the text line ash from the hills says converting all my raised beds into wicking beds has been a game changer it was a lot of work to swap them over but the amount of time it saves me in watering is staggering no longer do i need to worry during heat waves also i can go on holiday for two uh, for a week or two and they will survive thanks ash Jono at Port Nolunga said, built two wicking beds out of solar panels mm. lined with a pond liner. Mm. There is an oversupply of old solar panels currently, many going to landfill. Yep. There's another option for you. Um, Julian Woodchester says, um, good on Bianca, um, but she hasn't even lined. She said, just plumb from outlet, two elbows with pipe upside up, up of unit, water to 50 mils of bottom of tub, check with dipstick. Pipe over toward ground in winter rains to prevent it being waterlogged. Now, that will make sense
3: to you. Yes, yes. it does. And,
1: and that's important that we do perhaps pause our questions coming in because that was the element that we didn't discuss earlier on. Mm. You've got your tank of water. You've got sort of a, a filament in between the water and the soil. You've got your lovely, healthy soil on top of it and all the things that you're going to add to it to improve the health of the soil. But then it comes to watering. How do you water your your wicking bed so that you don't over water and you get it right so ex-
2: excluding rainwater, and you will sometimes you know have your hose on or whatever when we've set up the w- wicking bed between the soil and the rocks you are going to have this pvc pipe the pvc pipe will run along Longitudinally and latitudinally in (laughs) your bed. So will it will
0: it be parallel to the the ground ground, and then
2: perpendicular to the ground? Okay, okay, almost this elbow joint that uh, the caller in has mentioned, and so the pipe then will emerge from the soil um, so that you can directly stick your hose down and water it through that. The PVC pipe along the rocks has holes in it so that the water can come out through there as well. And that's where your overflow is important. If you've created your wicking bed in something like an old trough or bath, there's a fantastic YouTube clip of a man, I think he's in Sydney, and uh, he's used a bath. He's plugged it in such a way where through that, he's created a PVC pipe that goes up just above the um, waterline. Oh, a beg your pardon, just below the water line. So, you know, we said everything had to be, you know, up to oh, yes. this 20 centimetre, whatever. Yes. So his goes to about 15 centimetres. And so that makes sure it always drains it to drains. that point. Yes,
1: and so it's important that you have very, very good drainage. Mm. If you've got wet feet, you're in trouble. Yeah. Particularly yeah. with rhubarb.
2: <laughs> yeah. Rhubarb is a great one. And, you know, that's the thing. Some people think, oh, it's great, it's full of water. you still got, the plant can't get up and walk away if it's got wet feet.
0: Lots of uh, very... um Thinking gardeners out there, Rosemary in Belair, I've used off-cut pool liner plastic from an Adelaide pool maker to ensure my wicking beds are not invaded by the nearby Tacoma. Good work, Rosemary. Um, This person says, We use old IBC containers cut in half as wicking beds, which I think you've mentioned, Bianca. Good size, and you get two wicking beds from each container, but you do need to make sure the containers were previously used for olive oil or wine and not harsh chemicals. Yes, very, very good. And Pedro in Port Lincoln asks, can you grow strawberries in a wicking bed
2: we do they're perfect fantastic that's uh
1: that was the issue i was going to come to next is what kind of veggies or plants can you grow in a wicking bed
2: john name a plant (laughs) (laughs) basically um we're really happy with the plants that we're growing and uh in our wicking beds our um rhubarb does well okay um garlic I'm trying to get
1: people to grow garlic and put it in early in the season. But garlic only has a a very, very shallow root system. Mm. Uh, Of course, if you put it in early, it'll develop a reasonable kind of a root system. How would garlic go? And onions and those kind of little bulby type things as vegetables.
2: Beautifully. I can't just say anything other than beautifully. (laughs) Our beds are are beautiful, full of onion, garlic, um, chives, all the herbs. I'm currently growing rainbow uh, maize. Uh, The corn, uh, the painted mountain corn, it's not uh, something you would eat like sweet corn. My children just love to grow it because it's pretty. But then along that sweet corn, I've got my beans growing. And then under that, I've got my pumpkin growing. My three sisters are in my bed and just beautiful
1: we come back to the why is it so why do plants uh, vegetables grow so well in a wicking bed uh, and i suppose the same principle applies to a raised garden bed is so much more effective than just a, a common bed you know, just uh, on, on the ground and, and just talk to us a little bit about the importance of aeration and uh, the role of air in the soil why it, it's, it's you've got to have air in there as well as water
2: by mixing up your soil when you can and adding those brown composts and, you know, organic material, having the worms, you're inviting that air. The oxygen is going to help the, pl- the soil from not compacting. So it allows the roots to move through, which is lovely, but it does allow for the water to move up and down in that capillary action. If it gets waterlogged, if the soil's not draining very nicely, if the soil's too clayy and too absorbing of that water, you're going to have waterlogging issues. And waterlogging issues is what's called an anaerobic system. And it's the little microbes
1: yep. and the little microbes themselves, the trillions of little microbes, yep. they need and probably they use more oxygen than probably the plants. Yeah. Uh, Plants don't use oxygen. They use carbon dioxide. (laughs) So, yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) We get the benefit of the oxygen. (laughs) Thank you, plants.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was going to talk to you about water-ups, but I don't think we've got time. Well, there, there is an alternative to sort of uh, using your rocks and things like that. And uh, if you go onto the, your uh, uh, web and just go, uh, Google water-ups for wicking beds, that's just an alternative for those that uh, don't want to repurpose. Mm. But it's a different story. And Bianca, thank you very much for the magic of <laughs> making a wicking bed out of a, a laundry trough. And uh, I'm sure that we'll be talking to you about other areas of gardening They'll be in lovely. the future
0: yes science is magic it Bian- is Bianca thanks very much for coming in you're welcome stay curious thank you talk to Bianca Warnock science communicator active community garden member and uh, just uh, to let you know Jen says if you don't want to go online and you want to actually have a hands on wicking bed workshop the joinery runs those as well so go online and have a look for those fantastic well we're coming back to your general talkback gardening calls next so call in right now 1300 222 891 if you want to get straight through to john 1300 222 891 this is talkback gardening with john lamb and deb tribe
4: on abc radio adelaide
2: south australia and broken hill
0: we are Talk Back Gardening. We would love your calls. Call in now, 1300 222 891, 1300 222 891. I think we've got a caller on the line right now, Re and Eggplant. Now, is it Bob in Semaphore? Hello, Bob. Uh,
4: good morning, Deb, John. I've got some uh, nice, healthy-looking uh, eggplant uh, plants they're flowering quite well, but I'm not getting any fruit setting, and I've noticed that uh, I don't have any bees flying around the place, even though I've got plenty of flowers out at the moment uh, in the garden. And I'm just wondering, would that be the cause of it, or
1: it's our season, our cooler than normal season, and the amount of cloud we had earlier on, and if you talk to the botanists, they'll tell you that uh, the season is maybe three at least three weeks behind but even so uh, some plants uh, will come in and, and they'll flower and then they'll produce their fruit but much much later and you'll get put, uh, vegetables such as eggplant that take a long time even in a normal season uh, it's well into summer before the flowers will set and, and the fruits will start to form and I think it's this year is just one of those crummy crummy years for growing things like eggplants and even capsicums are sometimes a little bit uh, uh, slow to produce. So I don't think there's much you can do. Uh, it's late in the season. So if they haven't formed fruit now, uh, they might set fruit. You might get tiny little small fruits on them. Um, uh, if you're very, very smart, you might be able to carry over the plant uh, and uh, the, the fruits might sort of uh, come to something early next season, but I doubt it. I think you've just got to say, right, it was one of those seasons. The important thing with uh, with eggplants is get them into the ground as early as you possibly can in the growing season after the soil has got to around about 16 degrees, capital C.
4: Yeah, that's pretty much what I did. Uh but, uh, yeah, they just seem to. Uh, and again, it well. may be
1: you're a pretty good gardener, there, Bob, uh, and so you've got good, healthy soil, and so the plant goes into growth mode, and it's been it, it's growth mode, and and it hasn't changed from growth mode to sort of fruit and and fr- uh, flower and fruiting mode, and I just. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get too much this season. Um, just talking of uh, uh, soil temperatures, Deb, we just need to mention that uh, soil temperatures actually increased about a degree in the last, year, last week simply because of uh, our nice sunny weather. Uh, but they're sitting comfortably around about 19 degrees at all the three centres at Gawler, Walkerville and Glenelg. And uh, between 19 and 20 is the latest soil temperatures across Adelaide.
0: Great. OK. Well, thank you very much, Bob, for the call. Uh, Lynn is at Aldinga Beach. Now, you've got a lime tree. You'd like to get more fruit out of, Lynn.
4: Yes, hello. Um, Well, I've had this lime tree for a few years, and it's never done any good. I was going to actually get rid of it, but it's looking beautiful at the moment. I've obviously got it now in the right spot, but I'm not getting any flowers yet. Should I be expecting flowers yet, or is it too early for them to start showing
1: flowers and getting fruit. Yeah, I missed how old the, the uh, tree is, uh, Lynn. Oh, I'd
4: have to probably be, I think I've had it
1: for about four years. And is it producing lots of new growth or is it just sort yes, of buttoned yes, off? Yes, it's
4: looking, no, the, the growth, the new growth looks fantastic. I think, think it's, just,
1: it's just a little bit juvenile. It's got to slow down. Um, it's not too late uh, if you're in a nice, warm, sunny position is to look at your longest, strongest branches and just take the tips out don't prune them back just take the tips out that makes it produce more smaller branches behind uh, where you've just removed the tip and uh, that makes it work a little bit harder and helps it change from uh, growth mode into fruiting mode
4: okay
0: fantastic all right i'll give that a go thanks very much thanks lynn Uh, let's hope that works for you let's go now to woodside meg um, staying on the line but this time finger limes
3: good morning meg good morning deb good morning john um i have a, a four-year-old finger lime bush i've got three of them um two are, are very uh, you know leafy and and good and the third one has got a massive crop and uh, it's covered when well, it's been covered in those what i call orange and black push pull beetles and um, suddenly all the fruit is just dropping off.
1: Oh, that's sad, yes.
3: Um, The leaves are coming off as well, and it looks like something, whether it's these beetles or not, is sucking the life out of the little stems, and they're dying off at the end. They're all in big pots, very, very big pots, um, the biggest you can sort of buy, you know, in hardware shops. Um, And they've, you know, it's always been a good producer, this little fellow, but he's being stripped
1: Yes, you need to get the beetles off there as quickly as you possibly can. Um, Probably the safest uh, and most effective would be using an oil spray. Get a pest oil or eco oil. They're a refined oil and spray thoroughly uh, so that uh, you're spraying both sides of the leaves and uh, just watch it, you'll spray and you might find that after a couple of weeks they come back again and you might have to put on a second application but the important thing is they are there in huge quantities they could be sucking a fair amount of juice out of the plant and the plant is saying I'm not very happy but be in mind a plant which is full of fruits is going to be drawing a large amount of moisture and nutrients from the soil. Make sure that the soil is soaked, not just the topsoil but the subsoil as well. Really good soaking is tremendously important and do what you can to use uh, to stimulate both the soil and the plants by using either a fish material, a compost material or a blood and bone material and sometimes now you're getting products with the whole three of them and they're all mixed up together but they're being sold as stimulants and it's very confusing from a point of view if you're used to just buying fertilizers how do you determine uh, uh, the fertilizer from the stimulants and uh, it's something I'm trying to take up with the nursery industry and saying look you need to help gardeners when they're buying the products understand that this is not a fertilizer this is a stimulant and uh, so that uh, we don't get the confusion Mm.
3: Right. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll try that. I'm I'm devastated that it's lost. The first year it's had such a big crop and they're as big as my thumb, but they're not ready to pick yet. Mm. I've tried them. Yes. It, no, no. It just, we'll just
1: watch the stress. And it's one of those seasons. And I, people, I, I, many gardens don't realise just how dry it's been, the lack of moisture, the decent moisture we've had. It really is starting to come home to roost.
0: Thank you, Meg. Interesting question. In Coromandel East, Kath, you want to prune wisteria.
4: Ooh. Yes,
0: hello. I know
4: it's a long time of the year. Oh, no. Oh, well, because it looks very untidy. It's got a lot of tendrils, and I'm even concerned in the last caller, your advice, I think I need to put a sprinkler under it and really soak it.
1: Absolutely. It's got yes. some
4: brown margins on some of the leaves, and it's 40 years old.
1: Yes as I walk around the streets of Campbelltown and look at people's gardens and I almost cry, you can see people mm. with their naval oranges and you know that the first rain we're going to get the naval oranges are going to split open simply because the soil is dry, they're going to go from dry to wet and uh, you can see the, the leaves are hanging down they're saying where's the water so please look, look at your garden and, uh, and and see whether it's telling you it needs a good soaking, we come back to your problem there Kath yeah, you, yeah. You, uh, the thing is to remove the t- Tendrils. You can go all over the plant and it, you'll find that it, there's uh, a, a branch and it's got normal leaves on it and then at the end of that they've got these great big long tendrils. You can, they're useless. They're not going to produce flowers for next year. Chop them off now. It just means that the plant can actually use the energy which is making uh, being used for the tendrils can be put into storing buds and, and storing the, uh, energy for next year's flower. Don't cut right. it back too hard because if you do that, you'll stimulate it into the growth and you'll destroy what you're trying to do. Is help the plant to store energy in autumn so that it's got plenty of, uh, of energy uh, to burst open the flowers in springtime.
4: Oh, thank you so much. I just was unsure and I always feel so reassured with your good advice.
3: Oh,
0: thanks, Kath. That's wonderful. That's why we love you, John. Always great advice. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Don is in Lobithor. Um You're having an issue around germinating your parsnips, Don.
4: Yes, I've planted them about three times and still can't get them up. And I'm planting them in moist soil and covering them with a little piece of board so that they keep moist and I can't get them to germinate. I it's need so to find
1: out them. what kind of seed and how old is the seed. Is it you're, you're saving seed or are you buying a packet?
4: No, I'm buying a packet. I'll use that because i Right. right
1: And could it be that the packet is more than, say, a, a year old?
4: No, it's got, it's got inside the use-by date.
1: No, I don't. Um, the Achilles heel for parsnips in terms of germination is old seed. And uh, that's the first thing. And, and they, they lose their viability very, very quickly Um, So uh, I would be suspicious of that. And and, uh, I would be getting some seed and um, maybe just getting um, some blotting paper, some uh, uh, paper towels and get four or five layers of that, make it moist, put your uh, uh, parsnip seeds on top of that. And then put another two or three layers of just damp, not wet, just damp uh, material and see uh, and, and watch it, you know, in, in a, and put that out of the sun but in a, in a nice protected area. And the seed, if they're if they're viable, will germinate, and you should see them within two weeks. You should see if you put a hundred seed there, you should get eighty or ninety of them should germinate. Otherwise, you know, it's lost its viability. Um, if it's not that, then uh, we need to look at other reasons. And it's either it's over wet when you put the plant the seeds in the soil. But if you tried it two or three times, and I, I just I, I pick up Don, you're a bit of a gardener. You probably know what you're doing um, so I don't think it's you I suspect it's the seed
4: yeah well I get carrots up every time they're no worries at all but uh, these parsnips and I thought perhaps well, no, it two well, we'll test seed. its viability
1: you can check on its germination the viability of, of the seed yourself and if yeah. if it's only sort of half them come up I'd say uh, uh, change your brand <laughs> of vegetable seed mm,
4: Okay. well I'll, I'll try that because I haven't thought of that to see and get them to come up
1: uh, yeah, okay. yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So go go, go to a place where they sell a lot of seeds. Sometimes you'll find uh, centres that have got uh, s- uh, seed stands, and you know, and they probably don't sell too many seeds, and the s- packets can stay there for quite some time. A good company will come along and replace the old each year. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, just be aware that, uh, and, and the 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 better the company, the more responsible I won't say they are, but you're more likely to have success from reputable companies, uh, well-known companies.
0: Thanks, Don. Uh, good luck. Let us know how the experiment goes. If you have not won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you would like to get your hands on an ABC Gardening Australia March edition, then the time to call is now. one three hundred triple two eight nine one one three hundred triple two eight nine one, 222 891 one 891 and you might be our winner. We've got two magazines to give away this morning. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. It is Saturday morning. We are Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb. Loving your company this morning. Roz in Strathalbyn wants to repot an aspidistra. Hi Roz.
3: Yeah, um, thank you for my call. Um, yeah John, I'm like you. I've moved to pots Anyway, about seven years ago a neighbour gave me a little Uh, like a little rhizome for an aspidistra. (laughs) anyway i I left it in the pot it took about a year for it to spring up anyway seven years later um it's in about a litre and a half pot it's got leaves from my elbow to my middle finger long i just counted 27 stems oh god that's a good one to say and um Uh, Repotting it, it it looks very crowded, like it's thriving. But if I repot it,
1: will I retard its growth? While you're talking uh in the back of my mind is the song, eh, the, the biggest aspergistra in the world. Was it Gracie Field or one of those oh, <laughs> singers from way, way, way back? <laughs> anyway, listen, they are very, very tough. And uh, I just sort of uh, boggle, my mind boggles at the price of aspidistras. You know, they were sort of ho-hum. Everybody had an aspidistra in their old house uh, because there wasn't very much light in the house. But aspidistras give them light and they grow like steam. Um, I would say if you're going to do it, do it now. Do it the next uh, couple of weeks while we've still got uh, you know, 10 or 12 weeks of, of growing to go. Um, be uh, careful that uh, you don't get the uh, potting mix too wet. So when uh, you repot it, just don't overwater it. Just mist it down maybe or maybe just use um, moist potting mix for your repotting and then uh, put it somewhere out of the sun absolutely out of the sun and somewhere where it gets good line light Protection from the wind, and you'll find that it'll keep on, and you probably will up end up with the biggest asparagus in the world.
0: <laughs> Excellent, Ros, Thank you very much for that. Um, the winners of our ABC Gardening Australia magazines are Kathy in Spalding and Tracy in Strathalbyn. Jane is in Marden. Our last question on Talkback Gardening, Jane. Good morning. Oh,
3: oh lucky last. John Bromeliads. Can you hear me, dear?
1: Yes, I can.
3: Yeah, Bromeliads. Oh, are we posting? Using uh, already used uh, bromeliad mix, the perlite mix. Can I've always been concerned whether I can. Just transfer them from pot to
1: pot Absolutely oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- th- They'll have a root ball There so that's the existing root ball You don't want to sort of chop into that but If the roots are going round the, round the root ball You chop those off and then if you want to Reuse your potty mix I have no Qualms about that uh, but you need To just improve it so with something like house plants, I would say Use 50% of old potty mix And get 50% of new potty mix Mix them all up and away you go But if you just want to uh, uh, re pot it uh, do that and just use good quality potting mix and again away you go
0: jane a very good success to you repotting and reusing that soil for your bromeliads and thank you to steve who has sent through a text earlier we had a call john saying that the caller had the very poor year for eggplants. steve says best year ever for my eggplants planted mid-november
1: Ah, yes, investor. if you put them in early enough and they're full sunshine. But there's so many other factors which we didn't have time to, uh, to check out in terms of are they in full sun or shade and uh, uh, did they get stressed at any particular time. <laughs> uh, not easy in a short time.
0: Well, it's that time of the year, John. It's the big launch time of your wonderful tomato survey. Gatherer of information from gardeners across South Australia... It's all happening soon. The
1: 2023 tomato season is about to end, for many has already ended. What kind of a season did you have? Was it excellent? Was it good? Or was it disappointing? Or very, very poor? We need to know, because if we know what kind of a season you had, what kind of problems you can have, we can help everybody uh, grow better tomatoes. So the tomato survey, it's quite lengthy. Um, It's about uh, almost 40 questions Mm. on there, but they're just little ticks the boxes. Fill in a a, a cross or a number, and away you go. The thing is, the... We, with computerization we can now put the survey the survey started on the abc and i had to do it all by pen and pencil but wow. it's all now computerized <laughs> and through the good gardening newsletter so this week's news uh, good gardening newsletter will have the survey you just uh, there it is you just click on click it on uh, and away you go and it'll ask you did you have a good season or poor season and just answer the questions and it's important to do it quickly because it'll only be available uh, for this week, and uh, th- so th- this Saturday, uh, this Friday. Uh, newsletter and then the following one and then uh, we'll close it uh, I think around about April the 3rd, Monday April the 3rd uh, we'll close it and then we can take a look at all that information and find out just what kind of a season you had last year was brilliant, I couldn't believe it it was the best tomato season many had, the season before that was one of the worst seasons people had simply because of heat waves we didn't have a heat wave this year but it was a strange season, very very cool lots of cloud, not much sunshine, what effect has it had on your tomatoes? What varieties have you grown? And if you could tell us where you succeeded or where you failed or had a disappointment, we can put that together and we can then determine What's the information that now needs to be fed back to gardeners about growing their tomatoes?
0: That's right. It really is a fantastic citizen science project that you have developed, John, and it feeds so much information back into gardeners and into the industry, and it's distributed here on Talk Gardening and through your newsletter. So if you haven't signed up to John's newsletter, make sure that you do that. It's John Lamb, J-O-N lamb good gardening newsletter and it's delivered free in your inbox every friday and of course listen in here because we'll talk through the results of that report i think on the the weekend of the the 22nd of april
1: yes so tell us what kind of a season you had and until next week i'll say good gardening